This is Looking Forward, conversations about the future of work. Brought to you by Miller Knoll. Hey, listeners. Today we talk with Dr. Christy Limegruber from an organization called BetterUp. Christy is a really bright research psychologist with a PhD from Yale, and through her work at BetterUp has access to a huge database of information about how employees are doing, about their struggles and successes, and the challenges they're facing now. I think you'll find her insights about the well-being of employees and the need to balance remote and in-person approaches to community building are more important now than ever. Enjoy this talk with Dr. Christy Limegruber. Hey, Christy, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about BetterUp and what you do there? Absolutely. Um, and thanks for having me. So just a little bit about um, BetterUp for people who might not be familiar or who may have maybe heard the name and um, may not be exactly sure what exactly we do. Um, so BetterUp is the inventor of virtual professional coaching. Um, and we're the global leader in one-on-one and group coaching and counseling and, and mentorship. And what we really care about at our core is is human transformation. Um, so really helping people be the best version of themselves, um, both personally and professionally. Of course, as you can imagine, that means something different for everyone. So um, our platform provides uh, members with over 3,000 coaches that they can sort of choose from to work on um, anything from resilience or self-compassion to, you know, strategic planning or, or presentation skills. One thing that I think drew me to better up and I think really elevates better up um, to the next level is the degree to which we really lean on and include and um, produce science. I'm one of over 40 science PhDs throughout the country, throughout the company um, and counting. I'm sure there's, <laughs> there's probably more by the time this is, uh, by the time this is out. And, um, this sort of speaks to the dedication to science, but it also means that everything we do is really guided by behavioral science. And, and that's kind of where I come in. So what my team does, um, the research and insights team, um, what we do is, is we get to kind of look through this massive database of all of our, our members and also do our own research to really dig into questions about human thriving in the workplace and not just in terms of individual growth. So, you know, what helps people grow, um, but also trends over time, uh, we can really dig into um, kind of mechanisms that that might be driving positive or negative things, and ultimately, and most importantly, we can kind of make really science-based recommendations for ways that people and and companies can make lives better. So, uh, it's a, it's a really really fun job playing around in data all day. <laughs> well, and and what a time and. Our history, both in terms of the world and the world of work specifically to be involved mm-hmm. in these sort of activities. I can only imagine what the last couple of years has done in terms of the need for better coaching or the need to shift to very specific uh, topics or areas of need. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is one thing that um, is really interesting to look at. You can even see, again, in our data, that the kinds of things people are looking at um, when they, the things that people want to work on in coaching have changed over time and, and within populations. So we see, for example, women are, are more interested in working on career strategy now than they were before um, in time management, you know, with as more women disproportionately are kind of working from home than men. We see kind of the trends and the things that they're interested in working on are different. And we've seen this really beautiful, like, um, uptick in, in everyone wanting to work on personal well-being <laughs> more than professional well-being, which mm. um, I think is telling in, in a lot of different ways. Well, 
we've been involved in a variety of research activities that have honed in on, in particular, the challenges of caregivers. Whether it's caring for young kids, caring for parents or whatever, I can only imagine the need to balance work and life and do so successfully is more of a challenge now than, than ever for many. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is that is one thing that we've really been kind of zooming in on um, recently, especially, and, and trying to figure out um, where the pain points are and, and, and hopefully make some recommendations for, for how we can <laughs> help working parents. Because I think um, even though kids are back in school now, that doesn't sort of reset the clock in terms of the, the things that the sacrifices that working parents have had to make professionally and personally to, to keep everything afloat, <laughs> myself included. I think we could all kind of relate to that. It's It's been a, an interesting period of time for sure. <laughs> it has. Well, part <laughs> of what's made it so interesting is just the fact that so many people are spending most of their work days working remotely. And I know that um, for all the benefits of, of remote work or in particular of hybrid working, where part of our time might be spent working um, outside of offices, BetterUp's identified some concerns over decreasing social connections among remote workers. Can you tell us a little more about what you've learned? Yeah, absolutely. Before, I just to, just to sort of jump off of what you said, there are, you know, there is this sort of interesting balance between um, the, the decreasing social connection that I'll talk about in a second. And also, you know, we have, again, seen a ton of benefits for remote working and hybrid working for people. So it's a, there's a bit of a tension there, but but hopefully um, hopefully it can be addressed because I think now is the time to to kind of fix stuff. It's a unique opportunity. But as you mentioned, I think you know we've seen over time we've seen a decrease in social connection and feelings of belonging and connection to to the workplace um, and to to coworkers since even before the pandemic. Um, but it's continued to nosedive. And, and, and I think interestingly, even um, now that people are going back into offices and, and things are kind of, quote unquote, getting back to normal, um, those, those ships haven't righted themselves. <laughs> so things are still kind of going, um, going down. So we're, um, we're seeing, so for example, half of people in a recent survey felt significantly less connected to their company and their coworkers than they did before the pandemic. And that's everyone. That's not just remote workers. Um, and so I think it's it's hitting everyone hard, um, but remote workers are almost certainly the hardest hit. You know, some recent research that, that we've done has shown that um, not only do they have fewer connections, so uh, on average they have fewer friendships with people in work, um, but the ones that they do have are, are weaker. Um, so on average, about 26% less high quality than, than um, in-person employees. And Another thing that's that's pretty interesting is that that we see that even when they kind of put the same amount of time and effort into making connections, the payoff isn't the same. So even though they're trying just as hard to make those social connections in the workplace, the results are not as successful. So it results in fewer connections and, and weaker connections than if you were to sort of sit across the table and have a cup of coffee with someone. And so sort of just structurally, it's, it's just the differences are... Um, kind of tangible in this way that is really disproportionately affecting remote workers. There's so many things you just said that I would love to unpack further. Um, yeah. Let's just start for a second with this desire to be connected to a company because we're strong advocates at Miller Knoll for having a healthy balance between being able to have more autonomy, more flexibility in your life. But sometimes we forget that people do, in fact, want a connection with their employer. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, what do you what have you learned or what do you know about that desire and what might cause someone to feel connected or not? 
Yeah, absolutely. I know. I think I was a bit surprised by that, the cynic in me. <laughs> as much as I love working at BetterUp, I was sort of surprised by the degree to which, you know, people really did want to be connected to their employers and they sort of also expect their employers to set those standards, right? And I think that's an important point in, in, um, in that what we see is, is um, from an organizational standpoint and, and especially when it comes to managers, um, organizations and, and managers that really encourage and, and support social connection have much happier employees and, and have people who are, um, you know, performing better, have much higher well-being, are more likely to stay in their jobs. Um, all of these things, there's these really, really striking kind of ripple effects that come from um, just being in a place that really encourages um, social connection. And and, um, and I think people, people want that. And especially in a remote situation, it can be a bit awkward, <laughs> right? You don't have the, the happenstance kind of interactions and small talk and things like that that you have when you're um, passing someone in the hall every day. And so you really have to be intentional about making friends and chatting with people and in doing these things. And, and if you don't have um, kind of a culture or a structure that's, that's kind of encouraging that or supporting that, then, then I think those things are one of the first to go um, in terms of connections in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, it feels like I stumble into what feels like a heavy debate on uh, remote using technology or being co-located in the office? The, the answer has always been yes and and <laughs> for us. But I find your information about people putting in effort, but maybe not feeling like they're getting as quality of relationships. It sounds like primarily through digital means um, to be really interesting and probably helps us highlight uh, some of the value of co-location. Sometimes I'll, I'll hear people say, well, you can't collaborate without being together physically. That doesn't feel right, but this sounds more around like the health of our relationships and the strength of our communities. It reminds me a little bit of just how challenging it might be to have a long distance romantic relationship. <laughs> There's just a benefit, yeah. isn't there, of sometimes being physically present with one another? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there are little little things there that are both quantifiable and, you know, completely impossible to quantify, like, you know, social cues and, and these kinds of, you know, um, I used to work with someone who had the most ridiculous sneeze. And every time he sneezed, we'd all kind of stop and look at each other and chuckle. And it was like, you know, those are those moments are, are what, you know, those things add up. And those are kind of intangible, but they're not to be, you know, completely ignored, because those are those are absent in remote working for the most part, um, or at least sort of the way that, that, that most of us do it. Well, hopefully, there's a, a good balance in there somewhere of being able to have people really feel like they've got more flexibility, but still have quality relationships. The, the topic of well-being, I think, is so critical. And I think um, there's been a heightened awareness that throughout the pandemic, there were a variety of well-being challenges, both physical, but also mental, emotional, and beyond that became very pronounced. But if you had to kind of zoom out and give a little gut check on the state of employee well-being these days, what are you seeing? People are burnt out. <laughs> I think this is sort of the, the one sentence summary. Um, and you think we're all tired, I think, myself included. I think people are just really um, have, have gone through, we've all gone through as a, as a culture this really big thing. And, and now we're kind of expected to carry on like nothing happened. <laughs> I think mid-pandemic, it seemed like there were some some really promising improvements in terms of talking about mental health and, and providing mental health resources to employees. I have seen most recently that, that some companies are kind of taking those back now that the pandemic is over and everything's fine again, um, mm. which is a very big mistake. I think people are really 
really still struggling. And, and that's one of the things that, that really, um, really jumps out in our data still is that, that um, people are not only overwhelmed and burnt out, but they don't feel like they are in a place or in a workplace that's supportive of them actually taking the time that they need. And so we did a, a recent study looking exactly at this. And, and we found that on average, the average American worker takes one to two days off a month to address some element of mental health, um, or they feel as if they should have. Um, so some people, <laughs> some people power through, but they acknowledge that if they had the ability to, that they, they would. Um, and this is hitting, you know, working parents and younger people um, harder than others. But this is something that, that is really pervasive and is not, um, not going away. And I think one thing that we found that was really striking was that, that even when people do, and I think it's very telling, um, take time off for mental health reasons, they, they more often than not um, make up an excuse for why that is not why they took off. <laughs> so they'll make up some random excuse about, you know, their car and then go to the shop or something like that. So not only are we not taking that time, but when we do, we're, we're sort of hiding it. We don't want to, um, we don't want people to know that, that we're having a hard time, even though it's pretty clear that most people are. It sounds like there's either a real or perceived um, thought that the employer wouldn't benefit from the employee taking a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if your data indicates whether that's legit or not, but is it, I, I suppose it's a danger, isn't it? That employers might fall into the trap that they would only view this as beneficial to the employee, but not beneficial to the organization to allow them some time to, to decompress. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly, um, that's exactly right. And, and that's what we've seen. Um, and, and several of the kind of surveys that we've we've done is that when we do have um, instances where employers are upfront about the need to value these things, that that people do take advantage and they do um, and they are doing better. <laughs> it works, mm -hmm. but there is this this fear um, that somehow admitting that you need to take that time is is going to be perceived as a lack of commitment or weakness or something like that. So even in in companies where benefits are provided, right? Where people have mental health days, um, the, the amount of time people take them is, is a fraction of um, what they have presented to them. And it's, it's because most people don't necessarily feel as if they have that kind of model from their organization that it is okay to, to do that. We should definitely be talking in terms of sustainable productivity, shouldn't we? Because mm -hmm. getting burned out and not being of any, of any use to yourself or the organization is the worst possible outcome. Hey, friends, we'll get back to our episode in just a moment. But first, I want to take this opportunity to let you know that Looking Forward is part of Surround, a podcast network curated by Sandow Design Group. Surround brings together some of the best architecture and design-driven audio content available. So if you like what you hear from us, visit surroundpodcasts.com and check out some of the other great shows on the network. So Christy, for uh, an enlightened manager who might be interested and concerned about the burnout for their team members, what are the signs? What might they look for in terms of an employee that might be struggling? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. I think um, first and foremost, um, you know, managers just checking in <laughs> with their, with, with, um, with their people is, is the first step always. Um, we know from our data that um, people who have managers that, that actually check in on them and, and that they feel comfortable um, disclosing 
honest feedback to are much less likely to become burnt out and, um, and much more likely to really thrive in the workplace. Um, so something as, as little as just sort of checking in is, is invaluable. Um, and then I think, you know, more broadly, um, part of the issue with burnout, right, is that employees are, are burnt out because they're scared to admit that they are taking on too much, right? So it's it's kind of mm. a catch-22 and that it's really tricky to spot. So, um, you know, one thing that um, one thing that coaching is actually really good for is being that sort of impartial third party that, that people can speak to and um, and actually, you know, work with to, to navigate their workspaces in a way that's, that's healthier for them without having to, um, speak directly to their manager or anyone, um, that they feel might, um, have some sort of, you know, hold over their career in general. Um, and then I think more broadly, just again, coming back to, um, you know, social connection and, and sort of the kinds of communities that we build within our workplaces is, it's really important to, um, make spaces that where we're not sort of dealing with burnout as it arises, but we're sort of creating spaces where burnout is less likely to occur. Um, and so one of the things we we've seen with regards to, to social connection is, um, these really strong ties between how connected you are at work with, with others and how supported you feel and, and your experience of, of burnout. So, Mm. um, people we see with low social connection are 70%, um, more likely to, to get burnt out than, um, people who are higher in social connection. Um, they're twice as likely to be depressed and anxious and lonely. Um, and so having these social connections, um, and people to, to rely on, um, interpersonally, but also possibly professionally, you know, to give you a hand when you need it, um, has sort of these real tangible, um, benefits for, for well-being and, and productivity. You know, what you're reminding me of is, um, years ago when we talked about remote working, it felt like those of us that were advocates for some amount of remote work had to fight a stereotype that remote workers were eating bonbons on their couch all day long. And, <laughs> and often, um, we would cite that actually the bigger risk is overworking and burnout. Mm-hmm. Now the climate feels so much different. I think employees are concerned about giving up their autonomy. So they might be very hesitant to talk about some of the effects of burnout from not having those social connections through being with one another that I think we have to find that balance in there, don't we? Because if what I'm hearing you say is that that burnout leads to lower productivity or people leaving the organization altogether, then it's got to be an imperative for any organization to address now and in the coming years. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the more we kind of dig into this, this um, broad concept of social connection, the more you can kind of see it has these like tentacles that reach into every, every corner of work life. Um, You know, we've looked at looking at turnover, right? For example, um, the fewer connections you have to people in your workplace, the the easier it is for you to leave, you know, the higher the the sort of turnover rates. And um, if you're feeling burnt out and you don't have a lot of people, then what's keeping you at your job, you know? Um, and so at the root of a lot of the, that kind of, um, struggles that we're seeing in, in remote workers, especially, um, are these, these, these 
issues with with connection. They just don't feel connected to the people they work with or or their organization more broadly. And um, and as a result, they don't feel as motivated and they don't feel um, as, you know, um, they don't feel as motivated to stay. Yeah, what you're saying makes sense because if you feel like leaving isn't giving up a lot of relationships and you know that you're going to have at least a three to six month ramp up in a new job, that provides immediate relief from whatever burnout you might be facing in your current one. So it's pretty important that organizations face this unless they want to consider losing their employees. I, I know there's a lot of different ways of building those social connections because our our company spends a lot of time researching our various environments, physical environments. We know that a variety of places, offices, but also uh, flexible spaces, co-working spaces, coffee shops, event spaces. There's a lot of different physical environments to help create social connection. But I also believe there's organizations that can figure this out virtually. What kind of um, help might somebody who's not physically co-located near anyone, uh, what kind of help might they get in terms of building social connections if they can't spend time physically with one another? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, I think, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, and it's what a lot of us are, are trying to figure out. Um, I think the fact that we're even talking about that question says that we've come a long way. I think in the absence of these kinds of um, co-working spaces or even the ability to, you know, have be a hybrid, um, we see a lot of, of benefits to, to hybrid work, actually, um, mm-hmm. sometimes even more than in person. Um, and sort of a nice balance between getting to go see people and then getting to retreat back and eat your bonbons and still get your work done, <laughs> um, which is what I, that's sort of my preferred work model. Um, but I think in the absence of that's if that's not an option, we see these really striking kind of just the little things really seem to matter. Um, so managers checking in, right? Having one-on-ones where you speak with your manager, not just about tasks and um, specific kind of checklist items, but just checking in and, and saying, how are you doing? <laughs> there's a there's a great value to, to small talk. Taking the first five minutes of a meeting just to sort of see how everyone's doing. Um, we see even these really, you know, kind of negligible, in theory, happenstance interactions that you have um, with your coworkers really go a long way um, in making people feel more connected. And things like ERGs and, and sort of more structural uh, opportunities to, to interact with your coworkers, even if it is remotely, but um, in a in a way that's not directly tied to a work product, are really really beneficial. Mm-hmm. ERGs meaning employee resource groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing that you're making me think about is just how much of a toll our heavy meeting cultures. Uh, might be playing if if someone's spending you know six or seven hours of their day just in structured meetings, whether it's remotely or in person, that may simply crowd out any time for socialization. Absolutely, and and we did we actually did get some we do have some data on that, and that's you're exactly right. The issue with social connection is not a lack of interaction, right? We see you know depending on the industry, up to a fifty percent increase in meeting time. Um, mm. you know, than, than people had prior to when they were fully in person. So it's not that we're not staring at each other all day. <laughs> it's sort of a, this lack of meaningful interaction, right? Um, and and I think you're, you, you hit it right on the head is that, you know, by the time we're done with all of these meetings, we're exhausted. And the last thing we want to do is have another Zoom meeting where we're staring at people, you know? I think making the most of the time you have in meetings and, and really balancing 
um, really focusing on the quality of the interaction rather than kind of just having everybody in these meetings all day long um, is is crucial. So you mm-hmm. do make the most of that time that you have and really asking, could this be an email? Does this need to be a meeting? Um, having walking meetings with, with people, I think um, even that kind of shared connection can, can really have a positive impact. So even if you are just talking about work the whole time, but you know the person that you're talking to is also on a nice walk with their dog, that makes a difference. Mm. So just sort of being more thoughtful in the structure of things, I think, is, is really important and not just sort of shifting the, the traditional workday into a virtual space. I, I think you've highlighted a really um, impactful insight there in that we don't lack a degree of interaction. We lack quality social interactions and that we need to think about whether it's virtual or physical, creating spaces just for meetings, but not for these higher quality touch points would be a real miss as we think about the future of work. Absolutely. I could just say from, from my, my, um, my team, my content team, at BetterUp, we have a, a monthly standing lunch meeting where it's totally optional, but once a month, on a Thursday, there's an hour on everyone's calendars where we can just show up and, and actually just eat lunch and like, you know, talk about whatever random TV show we're watching or something like that. And I think that goes a long way. I think things like that are, are um, just as important a lot of times than these meetings where you know, people log in and don't say a thing the whole time. Well, let me ask you this in closing. If you had a friend who was creating a, a business or an organization and you had the chance to talk with this friend about what it looks like to create a really healthy, thriving culture for the future of work, what kind of practical tips would you give someone? Oh, I love that. I think, I mean, I think a couple of things. The, the first is, is something that, that I, I've, I've relied on a lot and I've been reminded of a lot at BetterUp, which I, I, I greatly appreciate, is keeping in mind that that you hired the people that you hired for a reason because of who they are and the work that they do and reminding them of the same and 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 in that sort of trusting them to take charge of of what work looks like for them and what makes them the most productive so offering them that flexibility right mm. saying i trust that you're the person that i hired that's going to do this amazing work and if that means working from home that's great if you need an office we'll figure it out and and sort of giving people that degree of autonomy over what works best for them rather than trying to guess what they want or um, just sort of telling them what they can have, I think is, is incredibly empowering and also sort of goes a long way in terms of just setting that dynamic where um, the workplace is where it's a dialogue, you know, um, where people can speak up if they, if they need help with something, if they're struggling or, um, if they see something that that might maybe could work better, right? Um, and so, really, just having um, building a foundation of kind of trust and responsibility between both leadership and employees, I think is I think is crucial to to moving forward in this this sort of kind of uncertain future, right? Um, mm-hmm. In terms of the workplace, I think, and a, and a more concrete <laughs> suggestion, right? That's like super uh, lofty, but I think you know more concretely just treating employees like adults. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think a lot of times, you know, um, just checking in and, and having these conversations about kind of a dynamic work um, situation is, is really important. Well, the timeliness of this insight couldn't be better because I sense many organizations are wrestling with a degree of control 
wanting to be prescriptive about where and when people get their work done, but your advice to treat them like adults and to empower them and remember you, you hired them for a reason and then check in to make sure that they are doing well and they can be sustainably productive makes a ton of sense to me. I want to thank you for sharing your insights with, with me and with all of our listeners. It's been an absolute pleasure spending some time with you today. Oh, absolutely. It's, this has been great. 